Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? What is the one fear you have about me regarding this podcast and something that I might do? What would you say that one fear is? Multiple fears. One is your behavior on social media. Correct. Uh, two is uh, smugness run wild in a way that I can no longer bear. Oh, God. Uh, three would be... Oh, he's gone three. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm thinking back to uh, past past incidents between you and I, VAR dust-ups between us, Mourinho dust-ups between us, you ruining scores for me of games that I told you I was DVRing. Uh, no, it's you, not. It's, well, okay. Oh, I have mean, I gone is, too far? Oh, well, so, this is mean? a deep list that I'll have to recount on Friday to my therapist. <laughs> so I want to keep it shorter oh. uh, than that. Wow. Um, no, what I was thinking was, how I embarrass you in front of people you might respect and that I might contact people that you respect. Like, for example, when I said on the podcast, I was going to call Brian McBride and ask him why he left uh, the U.S. general manager's job. That's not a fear of mine. That's you oh. embarrassing yourself. I have nothing to do with that. Oh, OK. All right. Well, today I was uh, I was out for my uh, lunchtime walk and I was just brimming with anger over over what happened to evan ferguson and i, I wanted hmm. uh, retribution and so <laughs> i realized that um howard webb is the head of the pgmol the the hmm. basically the referee's body and i realized i had his email or i thought i had his email from um, when I spoke with him at the New York Soccer Gala in February of 2020. So I had what I thought was a, a long chat with Howard. No, both of us had beers. Uh, um, uh, they were honoring Bruce Arena that night. That was the night Bob Lee blanked me. 
when I told him I worked for ESPN, ESPN, he was just like shrug of his shoulders. Couldn't yeah. have couldn't have cared less. Yeah. Um, that was the night I went up the elevator with both uh, Chris Armis and. What does uh, any of this have to do with your Howard Webb story? All right, now you're just name dropping oh, for the sake of just it. Dropping names, but anyways, uh, I was going to email Howard Webb, and I realized I still have his email. But alas, Andrew, it's it's his email from when he was the PRO, uh, general manager here in the US. Um, great to hear from you and to meet you in person last night at the gala. I enjoyed our brief chat. <laughs> That's from Howard Webb when I asked him to come on the podcast, and it was just so. I, I, I was crestfallen that he called it a brief chat. I have a view that everybody talks to me for a long time and has a great time. But well, anyway, it might have been brief for him. You probably did 95% of the talking. His his commentary was probably brief. And that's no, what he what? remembered about it. We had a fabulous back and forth. Uh, but the point being, I was about to email it. And then I realized, hey, hold your anger there. This email is just going to bounce back. And it'll, it's meaningless. So you just wanted to, what, have just like a friendly correspondence? I wanted to say to him, can you give me the reason? And this was before the ruling flashed up my on my phone from ESPN this, this evening where the PGMOL said they made an error in not sending Fabinho off. I wanted to ask Howard Webb in a very 19th century fashion, what is the meaning of this? Like, how was this not adjudicated upon during the game? That was the kind of rage I was I was in the, on my supposedly That's, or supposed to be relaxing walk. This is odd to me. Like to be so, I don't know, like to be so incensed with your own team that it would compel you to email a referee. It's, it's it was more um, like I I can accept, you know, like Liverpool losing. I wanted them to win that game, but that whole thing. It just, it's all my, you know, all my feelings about VAR and the way VAR has just, I felt being used and misused and in some cases not used at all. And it just all welled up in me. So I wanted an explanation. It wasn't that I wanted Fabinho actually suspended, which he won't be now. Seems um, like I, that is what you're driving towards. No, no, no. I wanted to know why he wasn't red carded there. Like, what is well, the Because they made a mistake. That's why. How? How? Because because pe- it's people. The world and its mother. Knew that was a red card. I agree. I agree. Uh, I mean, I guess like we were going to talk about this later in the podcast, but we've kind of conducted more than half of the conversation. JJ, right now, uh, you're listening to Caught Offside, I should say. JJ is referring to the Liverpool Brighton match in the <laughs> FA Cup, which ended 2 1 to Brighton on an extra time or a stoppage time winner, an unbelievable goal. Um, for Brighton to go through and, and upset Liverpool, it set off one of the great, uh, what is somebody from Brighton called? Like if 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 we're referring to their, what's that? A seagull. No, no, that's not it. Like when 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 <laughs> a seagull. No, yeah. not not a player on the team. I mean, so if you're a if you're someone who lives a, in Brighton, a Brightonian. Okay, Brightonian lungs. It was a great moment of Brightonian lungs when that goal went in. It it was almost Scottish, JJ, in its decibels and its bass. Um, I mean, it was an incredible moment for Brighton, a team that's that's flying in the Premier League that now gets this moment uh, almost as sort of like a, a validation of the season they're having. Cause I don't know that it's going to end in the champions league, but no matter what now they can always go back and remember this moment in the FA cup when they beat Liverpool in the 92nd minute of a game. I mean, it's, it was just an incredible moment for them in a season that has been surreal in, in several ways. Um, so, I mean, that that's the good, but what you're referring to was what 
I mean, for anybody watching, it looked like a, a sure thing red card. And Fabinho thought so, too. You could see by his reaction. He was just so waiting. I think that that maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it can't be all the evidence, but I do believe that a player's instantaneous reaction to a moment like that, a, a pure, genuine reaction, it has to be it has to be taken in as part of the evidence of what occurred. I really think that just like raw human reaction to something, his reaction screamed up. Oh, I'm out. That's my day. I'm done. A hundred percent. Yeah. He thought but, he was sure he was off, but VAR doesn't have like VAR can just could, can just say you've made a mistake. I think you've missed something there. Doesn't do it. I mean, it's specifically designed for these things. Well, here's the thing with, with what I think is happening with VAR. From They're not where, implementing it. Well, from where it began to the moment that we're in now with it is there's a little bit of inconsistency with how each VAR views their responsibility. And I think certain certain VARs, if I guess that's what you call them, um, certain VARs are being overly, I think they're overly correcting. Like they're being a little too cautious with making sure that they're not over-officiating the match because they saw the way the the initial reaction was to the way VAR was being used, that it was being used to re-referee matches. We used to use that term all the time. They're re-refereeing the game through VAR. And so I think you have some certain people who are operating VAR, who are the VAR, who don't want to do that, that they saw the reaction that that's not what the public wants this tool to be used for, so we're not going to do that. And so I think that this was an overcorrection, what happened with this one. They sure. viewed this as subjective. Yeah, it looks like a red to me, but... I'm not here to reofficiate. It's a subjective call. That's what they saw on the field. They view it more as a black and white thing. Was he offside or not? Did it touch a hand or not? If there's a potential foul in the box, was it a dive or not? Like, I think there are certain guys who view this as black and white. If it's a subjective decision, we're not getting involved. That's not what we're here for. But the black and white things, we need to make sure that another Henri handball against Ireland, that can never happen again. That's why we're here. We're not here for the, the, the subjective stuff. And by the way, if that is if that is in fact how where VAR settles, if we're deciding between the two, over officiating or letting it be like this, I'm okay with this version yep. of it. But are you are you okay with like I mean that was that's a foul we don't know. Yeah, yet. I think so too. But, I think but, so but, too, but Andrew. It's a foul that he leaves on crutches. Okay, you can't allow the play, the player safety to be compromised for for this idea of and and I totally agree with you. And it is a diktat that's come down to basically uh, let the game flow, let things go, bring it back to a faster-paced game and and allow the, the tackles that are in the gray area. I, I, I don't think you can do it. I think that this is a little bit of an exception to the rule with what happened here. I think eight times out of ten, that red card is getting shown after VAR gets a, gets a look at it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, this, this was, I don't know that we can cast aspersions on the whole system because of what happened here in this incident. Uh, they got lucky. They got lucky. He got extremely lucky. They didn't. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter. They wound up losing anyway. Uh, but but it does matter, though. Like, I mean, this is a player for for Brighton who's been who's been brilliant for them at center forward. He's only eighteen. Mm-hmm. He's been like the answer to all their prayers. They've been able to sell center forwards and 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 bringing a guy like this from the academy. He's also he was also probably going to start against France at the end of March. February's a short month. You put you put the games together. He's not going to be there. And you see what he did to Kanate over across two games, the league game and the cup game. And he was just excellent. And now we don't have him for that. Now, nothing changes. Like Fabinho's tackle, there's, I mean, giving him a red card is irrelevant. The damage was done. But yeah. Anyway, 
anyway, that's just, I, I should really say that I wanted to start the podcast focusing on all the good things, the magic of the cup. But then I kind of got indulged in my own stuff and Howard Webb and walks and emails. So I apologize to everyone. I wanted to say a couple of things before we get into the rest of the podcast, because I've ruined the flow of the whole thing. Um, <laughs> we have a very much anticipated in the club coming up, Andrew. Oh, coming up for the second pod this week. It is going to be great. I'm looking forward to doing it. Um, and it's with a, with a club that's very close to American, American people's hearts. Mm. And you can, by, by process of elimination, you can get down to that club as, because we've already done Everton and we've already done Leeds United. So, so that, that is who, it, in saying it close to Americans' hearts, I think 90% of our audience would be guessing Leeds right now. But the fact that you've just ruled them out means that we did, the, other, the other 10% are probably correct. We did one on YouTube with Leeds already, so right. it's going to be it's going to be Fulham. Let's be honest. Oh I'm, well, wow! I'm there really looking. I'm really looking forward to that. But more details, more details uh, when it drops on probably Thursday's podcast. I would imagine. Okay. Um, but anyway, back to the back to the weekend's action, Andrew. I, I apologize. I've stepped all over. Everything. Yeah, you you really you took you took a hold of the wheel. I thought I was I was behind it. You opened the door. You kicked me out. <laughs> uh, I'm flailing right now on the on the shoulder. And I've taken off to Vegas in a drug and drink field boozed obsession in yeah. a car. A binge. a binge. A binge. Um, but at any rate, I'm now in an Uber and I'm I'm following you and I'm trying to re recontrol the vehicle. And so we'll stay with the FA Cup, JJ. We, we've already we've now done Liverpool and Brighton. Before um, we whoa, 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 we have not. We have to just luxuriate a little bit longer in Matoma's goal. Okay. I just want to break it down. In terms of like I first of all, I don't think I've ever seen it before. I've seen fellas fake guys and to shoot and then pull out of it and 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 hit it with their left foot. I've never seen someone flick it over, but make it look so much like they're about to lash the cover off the ball to the point that Kanate turns. Um unfortunately Darwin Nunes is just he's in some kind of a stupor. Uh he's absolutely pointless having him there. And but but Matoma goes to leather it. And in midair, pulls out of it, flicks it up, and then hits it again. I, unbelievable! With the same yeah. foot, I've it. This is a guy who is. I don't know where his career is going. He could he could blaze out. He could flame out somewhere. I really hope he stays at Brighton. But this is a guy in such good form. He is a reason to watch Brighton. He is the. He's so good. He's so quick. He's fast. His ability to dribble. And then he does something like that to win the game. Oh. You start to look at Brighton a little bit almost as the way we were looking at Southampton Better. 10 to 15 years ago. I just mean it in their ability yeah, right. in their ability to start just producing talent at an absurd rate. And, and I, I mean, Southampton were rated for that talent repeatedly. Liverpool yeah. oftentimes the, the beneficiary of a lot of it, I felt like. But I feel like Brighton are now generating talent at an extraordinary rate. I don't know if that's down to, I, I guess their scouting uh, has been sensational. Um, and it makes sense. It's translated. Look where they're at in the table. Look what they just did in the FA Cup. Yeah, And this is, you know, they lost Kukurea, uh in the last window over the last summer. Um, and, and I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, so, but, but it's, it's really amazing what they're doing. Yeah. And I, I just think it's a grim conversation, but it's an inevitable one where you talk about Matoma, where's he going to go next? I mean, it was on ESPN Plus. Obviously, they've got the FA Cup rights. They go back to the studio. And the first thing Craig Burley starts talking about is about 
um, how long will Natoma last at Brighton before someone tries to snap him up? I, I hate it, though. I just really hate it. It's You're right so... to hate it, but I can't blame... Like, Craig Burley, his mind going to that place, it makes... Like, this is how we've been conditioned to think because this is what happens. Play like, And you're right. I don't know that Matoma is going to be that player necessarily. But when we see, like, this is just the way that, like, the food chain of the Premier League I, operates. I know, I know. but I, it's, I, And so, like, that's that's what you think when you see a player thriving at a club that isn't one of the top six. This is, this is the way it goes. And, you know, there's no guarantees if he was to go to any of the top six that A, he'd start, or B, that he would be, like, he would flourish in the way he's doing at Brighton because right, sometimes... like for for every Angolo Conte, there's a Danny Drinkwater, you know, yeah, like for every um, like we say, I was so excited when Minamino came to Liverpool, mm-hmm. didn't really work out. I mean, there's lots of players that end up at the bigger clubs and it just doesn't happen for them. I can't. I mean, you can Ross Barkley. Ross I mean, Barkley, sure, like guys won, who we were yeah. sure were were ultra talented players you know Stuart Downing I remember going back a yeah. little bit Jack Grealish you know I mean the uh, easy like that. easy <laughs> I don't know you know what I mean you but know this I mean. is I mean this is the unfortunate food chain that we're that we're sort of operating in so yeah I don't I don't blame Craig Burley for 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 thinking that way that's that's more often than not how these how these stories end um but it was an extraordinary day for Brighton incredible drama uh for them to get that win and advance in this tournament. Liverpool are out. Their season of woe continues. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I know. I, Go ahead. Yeah. I just, I don't know how much energy I've got left, you know, to talk about, you know, when you're in the middle of the We don't have woe. to do that. We we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago. We don't yeah, have to Yeah, I was just listening there. to the Anfield rap this morning, um, which is a great podcast. It's, you know, as far as club podcasts go, that's it's hard to beat it. But, you know, they're talking about guys and just saying, you know, their legs have gone, which is just a euphemism for it's over for them at the top flight and at a club like Liverpool. And when you hear that, it's like, well, not necessarily. See, I don't necessarily, this is why I keep saying that I'm not ready to, to, to kill them off, to end this era. It's not about killing Liverpool. It's about killing certain players. But That's to say the they're, problem. but like the idea of their legs being gone, I think like I've, I've said all along this, this season is shot. Forget it. This season is done, but it's just a matter of whether or not it's a reset uh, or if it's the end of an era. And I think somebody's legs being gone, I think that's a thing that for certain players, yeah, you're right. I mean, guys who are up there in age, I don't know that they'll ever quite be the same, but I think a normal off season, you know, which which these guys will have, there's no major tournament on the horizon coming up this summer. I think that that's a thing that guys can get that back. They just need, they just I, need a month. They just need two months. No, nah, sometimes, sometimes, it te- sometimes it's never the same and you can get performances here and there, but to get the consistency and the level. And it's it's about, in that Liverpool midfield, Andrew, you have to have that step. And if you lose that step, if you're not first to the ball in for the tackle, then then things what ha- like what happened at the weekend continually happen and, think, and it breaks down. And I think Fabinho was the one that the guys on the Anfield rap focused on. Henderson too. Um, yeah. I think it, it might, might. I mean, for those two, it might be over. Yeah. It might be. Well, try replacing them. Try replacing them. It's gonna it's gonna cost you. But anyway. Uh and then of course the big story from the weekend, America's other team. Wrexham. Steady. Three three against Sheffield United. An absolute thriller. Cracker. Um I mean it was it was kind of the game that like 
funny hype was placed upon for reasons that I guess we'll get into. But I mean, like all of a sudden there it is delivering on it. And like, it's become like, it's now taken on a life of its own. It's become like a Wrexham FA cup event is one that like you, you can't take your eyes off of right now. And um, then I'm curious, JJ, them getting a replay, you know, obviously they wanted to win. Like that's the best case scenario is that they advance. But oftentimes we talk about like a team of that size, a non-league side getting a replay can in some ways almost be like it, it can almost be better, right? Because they get they get another an additional gate out of it that maybe wasn't anticipated beforehand. Yeah, they get the they get a portion of the gate of a bigger gate uh, at Bramall Lane, which mm-hmm. I mean can hold about thirty five. Oh, what is it? Thirty five or thirty seven thousand. Um. So yeah, it 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 is good in that sense. But I think it was set up when Mullen scored. To put them three two up, it was really set up for that for that great moment. The race course count ground is rocking, and it's a ground that's had big FA Cup moments before. They knocked out the league champions in nineteen ninety one, Arsenal in the FA Cup. So I think they would have loved for that to have happened. You know, the, the camera couldn't stay away from Ryan Reynolds, uh, which is natural enough, I suppose. Um, I, yeah, I I do think in this case, and considering the backing they have maybe they would have forgot, uh, you know, they'd be able to forego the, the extra money. Um, no, Ryan Reynolds and, and um, Rob McElhenney may not feel like, feel that way at all. They may be, okay, this is, this is win-win. We have our, we've had our classic game at the race course and now we can go and make some money at a bigger side, a, a, a championship side. So yeah, I suppose, um, I suppose maybe there's, there's two ways to look at that. Did you see, um, Ryan Reynolds, of course, is married to Blake Lively, the actress. <laughs> Did you see her tweet? No. About how she went out and she something to the effect that I had to go out and buy ESPN Plus just so I can see the anguish on my husband's face. And like it's a picture of him just like he's just dying. Like you can just see like he's it's a, it's the face we've all made any number of times watching but, a watching a match. But it but it's not a face he's made uh, many number of times because you know from watching the documentary how new and raw and kind of callow he is when it comes to the game. So he's feeling some of these feelings for the very first time, and as an owner, that's even it's probably or the type of owner he is. I think it's even more. <laughs> it hits even harder, which is great. So obviously, look the the soccer of it all was thrilling. It was amazing this game. But, I, I I should say as well, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. John Egan's celebration at the end, shushing, <laughs> shushing the crowd was one of the great pieces of S housery because I felt like saying, John, you're a recent premier league team. I know this is top of what the, the Sherpa van national league or whatever it's called, you know, I mean, Vanarama national league. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it like funny. A, it was still funny. Go ahead and celebrate. Sure. Like you just saved your FA cup lives. It's a huge moment, but I agree. Like that's, 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 I don't know. That's a weird look to me. Like when you're in elementary school, if you're a fifth grader and you're playing like touch football out on the playground with kindergartners, like that's a weird look to kind of like shush them if you score a touchdown. But you know what? When you're in the middle of it and the crowd was really, really up for this one and they were getting involved with, you know, when the, the, the Sheffield United player was, was uh, red carded. And for some reason he had to be chaperoned down the tunnel by Rian Brewster. Like who was wearing, I think a a Wisconsin uh, Badgers baseball hat. Like, what's going on? There's a lot uh, going on here. There is, and he's being shouted at by Welsh children as he goes down the tunnel. Like, I suppose once you're in the middle of that kind of cauldron, you kind of forget yourself and and the kind of more raw um, 
base person comes out. So can we talk about the other side of this? Yes. There is a fervor <laughs> building here that I, you know, it's very interesting, JJ. I guess this is, this applies to life, culture, all sports, not just soccer, but we're dealing in soccer here. So I'll use that. Like you just never quite know in this sport, what is going to explode on social media? What are the topics that are just going to just take on this, this life uh, and suck people in and infuriate people and, and start battles on Twitter and Wrexham have become that. Now, I don't know how engaged people have been in this, but for those who haven't, I guess the Cliff Notes version here is that there's a segment of the American fan base that is absolutely loving what's going on here with Wrexham and the coverage that they're getting on ESPN and how fun this has yes. been. And there is a competing segment of the American fan base that absolutely detests it and it is and is enraged that this Welsh club is seemingly getting attention and treatment from ESPN that domestic clubs and MLS clubs here have not gotten. Yeah. And those two factions of soccer fans in this country are uh, kind of, I wouldn't say at war with one another, but there's there's a lot of discourse going on right now on social media about that topic. Yeah, and it's been going on for, for longer than the weekend. The weekend, I think, just brought it to a head with appearances from McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds prior to the game and the game getting covered on SportsCenter. Like, when's the last time a major MLS a game or a game of any MLS stature got a SportsCenter slot? And it's not going to happen again in the future. I mean, that's, MLS Cup final, but okay. that's it. Has to be a cup final. This is this is an FA Cup game, um, and and yeah, it it kind of provoked the ire of of MLS fans who really just wanted to know what what is going on here. Like what, what like oh, and also they've been annoyed going back. I suppose over the winter when people have been binging uh, "Welcome to Wrexham" and tweeting about it the reaction has been to sniffily respond, well, you'll support this Welsh team you've just heard of because it has celebrity owners and it has done a documentary. But what about going to your local MLS game? What about going to your local ground and watching local soccer? Um, you won't even do that. But you'll buy jerseys and merch and all that stuff. I can only imagine the merch that's flown out. Oh, just those Wrexham hats. Yeah. So so it's it's kind of sparked this thing which came to a head on over the weekend and has not stopped. I've been following it all the way through on Monday, like different people popping up and giving their take. Uh, some people saying, hey, you can enjoy both, which is the real kind of... By the way, yeah. Yeah, you can. But you said this isn't a war. You have to place it within a larger context of of American soccer for probably the last 30 years, um, certainly since the start of MLS, over what's good, what's bad, what's got history, what's got storylines, what's worth watching, what's worth supporting, and pro-rel. Pro-rel is at the center of this always. They feel like one of the one of the great points that was made, and it is one that MLS supporters like bat away. So MLS supporters were saying, hey, we've got great storylines. We have, an ama- we have amazing history and storylines in our league. Mm-hmm. And the response to that is, well, either, oh, yeah, what are they? Or, but you don't. Because this is a club that's fallen through the basement 
of top flight soccer in the United in, in England and it's coming back up. And it's all about the chase to achieve something, something that cannot be done in America. Thus, those storylines are killed in the womb. They can never happen because of the setup, because of the way um, MLS is constituted. And that that is basically the crux of the argument. Now, um, well, the other problem, too, is like if I asked you right now and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I can answer for you. Um, if I just said to you right now, JJ, what's the best story that you can think of in MLS? Um, like for me, I'll say it. I mean, for me, it's what ha- it, it was the save the crew movement. That right. was an extraordinary story. Um, is that a story that MLS wants told? Well, that's like, a great point. I don't, I don't know that it is. Well, like it, it paint like the fan base was point. heroic, but the league is kind of the villain in that in this story. And if and if this is arguably the greatest story that MLS has produced in terms of a human interest standpoint, and the league is not viewed favorably in it and is probably not behind the retelling of it, well, that is a, that is a problem. Uh, of course. And what is the league really? I mean, the league is is the owners, the billionaire owners within, within MLS. And the point you made is something I hadn't thought about. Remember, there was an episode of Welcome to Wrexham, which was literally about their crappy owner or one of their crappy previous owners or a couple of them who brought them to this place. Do you think uh, Annie, what, what was his name? Uh, Anthony Precourt. Do you think Anthony Precourt is going to allow that kind of access and, and his name to be besmirched or told the truth about, depending on your viewpoint, because he's still the owner of Austin. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different thing. And also it's very hard to replace a hundred years of history. You know, yes. there's generations of people from Wrexham have been going to watch Wrexham football club. It's in their blood. Now have some fallen away. Sure. Are there bandwagon ones? A hundred percent. But that club's always been at the center of that community. You can't say that about MLS clubs. You literally can't say it about some of them because they're outside the town. They're 10 years old and they were built outside the town. They're not the center of anything. And look, now, MLS is doing the best they can to catch up. Like you can't, but you can't but fabricate history. It just it's a thing that has to happen organically. But I would say, um, you know, the the way that these fan bases have gravitated towards these clubs, and yeah, you know, I mean, like they're they're create they are creating a soccer culture in this country. They are, but it's going to take time for it to take hold in the way that it has in some of these European countries. And like, yeah, I, I think the other thing too with this is like. There's also a uniqueness to this specifically. Like if ESPN was just airing Wrexham matches like in non-league play, like the the repetitiveness, the monotonous of league of the season, like they they wouldn't be getting this kind of treatment. You know, like they wouldn't be getting ratings. There wouldn't be as much interest in it. But there there is a uniqueness to this tournament, to a team like Wrexham in the FA Cup specifically taking on teams that are, you know, leagues ahead of them, literally. Um you know, so I think like that is part of it. And like, you know, the unique, the the uniqueness of all of it, JJ, like Amer- huge American stars are at the center of this, but not just American stars that like, you know, any random actors that we would roll our eyes at. These happen to be, I'm not going to speak for everyone here. I'll speak for myself. These happen to be two really likable American stars that are in things that people love that like are, are guys that I think 
a lot of us could say, I could hang with that guy. Like that looks fun to me. All right. So, I'd like, like to. So you, you've got like, it's that plus historic competition plus the David and Goliath storyline, which is probably among all American storylines that, that are get propped up in sports. That probably is the number one storyline. Um, and like, like it or not, the built-in credibility of this sport in Britain, like you take all of those things together and it equals an intriguing viewing experience for American soccer fans. Um, and so I don't know, I don't get, I, I understand why hardcore MLS fans see this and are mad about it. I, I do get it. I will not shout them down and tell them that they're wrong, but I'm a little bit numb to it just because I, I feel like JJ, you've been here long enough. So you can, I think you could probably speak to this as well. I've just kind of like come to terms with the fact that this sport is just consumed differently in this country than any other yeah. sport. It just yeah. is like, we talk about this all the time. It's not the NBA. Like you can't look at the way basketball is viewed in this country is if you want to be a basketball fan in this country, you watch the NBA. And that's what, that's what it is to be a basketball fan, to be a soccer fan in this country. It's fragmented. It's split up into many different factions. It's MLS fans. It's Premier League fans. It's Liga MX fans. It's just international fans that parachute in for USMNT or World Cups or Euros mm. or Copa America. Like, that's just what it is to support soccer in this country is to just like take bits and pieces from all over the place. And like, when you put it all together, it's soccer fans. It's, it's what it is to be a soccer fan. But like, so I'm just numb to it that like, yeah, like there's a kind of a, an interesting soccer event that's going on. I'm going to watch it. I'll consume that. Like that's the sport is just, it's just consumed differently. It It is. Um, and I, I think there's so much to impact to unpack there as well. Now I'll take you up on one of your point. Your point, uh, one of your points about, I mean, and this just shows the fractured nature of our soccer support in this country. You said that um, uh, MLS is building a soccer culture here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out there who'll be just shaking their heads at you, Andrew, and saying, "No, they're not." We've well, I think that that probably varies city to city. We've got we've got one. Like the, there was a pre-existing one. There's there there are ones that uh, exist up and down the divisions. There's ones that go back to the 1970s beyond you're right but i'm talking about beyond a, a niche culture yeah i don't know man i in some go to portland like they they've built i and i know in places like portland it has existed longer but well, like portland's been there since the early 70s yeah but but like it's a main, it's mainstream now like it, yeah. in a way that it wasn't before well, and that like, is a, that is i've been there that is their own soccer culture there's no question about that um but I do think there's other there's there's other grounds where where you can't say the same, and some of them in the tri-state area as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 there's there is so much in it, and I've like for my sins, there was a period during during the podcast in 2015, 2016, where I was like deep in in the soccer culture war, and it is like there are some people who are just like they will not accept MLS as as their domestic league. They don't. They think it's illegitimate they don't think it's right and they their minds are not for changing and they will focus more on european football and their own hyper niche hyper local football and and there's so many factions factions in this thing i would i would say one thing as well though about you say about celebrities and, and people that you like um mike pendleton tweeted this lafc have will ferrell and half of hollywood as owners and had a 10-part walt disney company produce docuseries three years before welcome to wrexham it wasn't interesting. Welcome to Wrexham was. Wrexham clearly had a compelling story portrayed in a compelling way. 
Sometimes an alchemy of factors come together at exactly the right time. Lightning in a bottle is hard to produce. You have to have a lot going for you. It's a great point. Honestly, that's a great point. I don't know how to quantify why one thing works and another doesn't. Will Ferrell is enormously beloved. Uh, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't know. No. I don't know. I think there's something, too, about, like, I don't know, as an American, especially an American soccer fan, um, like, there is a little bit of, like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to misuse this word, but, like, there's kind of an adventure element to this. Like these two American guys are kind of like let's let's do this. Canadian. Let's buy let's buy a tiny little soccer team and see if we can actually turn them into something. Like there's there's just like I don't know, like it is. It's funny to say this because they're they're Hollywood actors, but like it is sort of a Hollywood story that you can envision. Um, so like there's that element of it. And no one no one has gone near my point, which is a completely side issue. That as much as you are enjoying this, and I think we all are. I enjoyed the series. There's what if you're from Bromley or any other than uh, the Vanarama National League teams and you see this club that was mid table or whatever, albeit a, a big history club getting pumped full of mo- foreign money, money they can't get access to, not in a million years right now. And watch them take all the life and the hu- and, 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 and the heat and the hype. You know, that's 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 another story, too. And it happened with Salford as well, when uh, which I talked about before, when um, Gary Neville et al bought Salford and doped them up to the up to the football league. So there's so many angles to this, but uh, it was a great game, a uh, great finish to it, and looking forward to even more discourse upon the replay. Well, the final thing, the final thing that I'll say about this is, and again, I say this as as an MLS supporter, I I, I enjoy this league tremendously. I think it's great fun, um, and I am definitely one of those people who encourages you all to go out and support your teams in your cities. Cause it's, it's great. Um, but I will say this, when you see this, it makes me worry for the new, the new TV model of oh, what's yeah. going on here, because it goes to show that people there, there are soccer fans in this country. Uh, if they're worried about, spending that money as MLS goes behind a pretty significant paywall, the likes of which we have not seen in this country before. um, They'll fill the void. They'll find a way to fill it because it's not like if MLS goes behind the paywall, well, now you're shut out of soccer. Nope. That's not true. And you you may have to go behind other paywalls, but they're not as expensive as that one. And people like if you see the excitement that this random Welsh team generated, like people will get behind it. They they want to consume soccer, and it sometimes doesn't look like they care where they're getting it from. Whoever will give it to them in the in the easiest way possible. And so it, I get why MLS is doing it. What was what they were doing before wasn't working. The TV ratings weren't there, but there's no guarantee that this will work either. And seeing this, I I I just worry a little bit. I, I, my final point, and I, I echo those worries. Um, my final point would be you, the U.S. Open Cup has given us some unbelievably cool moments in the last six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Be it FC Cincinnati from the USL. Yeah. Remember knocking off Chicago in front of a, a full house in Cincinnati. Amazing. Christos from Maryland, basically named after a liquor store scoring first against a professional DC United in the cup. I think Louisville as well had a, had a great run too. 
those stories, we, we covered them. We talked about them. People with bigger budgets did not. ESPN did show that one. That was one of the few Open mm-hmm. Cup games they showed live was that was Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So look, um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting conversation and it's not going anywhere. We are in a general cult- culture war in this country and uh, and soccer is um, has got its own. Fascinating stuff. Um, uh, any other FA Cup stories that you wanted to mention, JJ? Not right, no. Not really. Okay. No. Arsenal, Man City? Ugh, no. Okay. No. Yeah, I get that. No, we'll talk more about City down the line and, and Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal have got their flowers from this podcast, so they can they can take a rest for this. They can take a backseat. <laughs> uh, let's see. A few other things we wanted to get to. We have a mailbag coming up in a little bit as well. I should tell you, I have not really looked at it. So you, I it's mean, in God's hands now. Just unprofessional. Yeah. Well, I sometimes like to be surprised by what's in there. I don't know. Well, I, I kind of like like the, the spontaneity of it all. You like keeps things fresh. The danger. Yeah, it, it is danger. It's yeah. flying without a net. Um, let's see, a couple other things, JJ. Uh, Sean Deitch, long anticipated, I suppose, over the course of the past week. He will now be Everton's next manager. Um, and it's funny, my initial... So as I saw this happen, initially my, my thought was kind of good for Deitch. Like, I, I think, you know, even though it ended badly, like I... I we can go back to those shows. I, I very much supported his firing, which feels harsh, but I just felt that, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going down, you can't just allow it to happen. They had given him enough you know, time, I think a fair yeah. amount of time to try to write the ship and it wasn't getting righted. So I understood why he was fired, but by the same token, he had done so much at that club that he absolutely deserves to work again. Um, you know, two top half finishes with Burnley, one of which took them into Europe. Uh, yeah. He absolutely deserves to work again, and he deserves a good job. And for however dire the situation is, I laid out the reasons on the last podcast why I don't think this Everton job is such a horrible job right now, because you can only succeed in this. Like, if you fail at this job, it's doing what you're exactly what you're supposed to do. We're all looking at the talent on this team and saying they're not good enough. They're going down. If he does anything to help the situation, he'll re- completely rejuvenate his managerial career, which is yeah, why no, I looked at disagree. this. And, well, disagree. All right. Well, hear me out for a sec. Um, it, it's why I look at this situation and my real thought goes not to Deitch. It's still with Frank Lampard. He's the one I worry for here because if Deitch comes in in a situation where we've all looked at it and said, oh, well, no one can win there. You know, and we all, Everton fans included, everyone seemed to heap sympathy upon Lampard. Oh, he got fired. He was a sacrificial lamb. You can't fire the players. He's got to go because what else can they really do? They've got to try something to save their season, but no one can win in this situation. Frank gave it his all. Uh, Poor guy. Well, if Deitch goes in and wins, like they got Arsenal followed by Liverpool. Let's just say they get a win and a draw or something like that. All of a sudden, you start to look at Frank, and you think, "Oh, oh, maybe he, maybe he actually is the problem, or was the problem." Uh, so my worry right now is is not for what what happens next with Sean Dyche. It's how perception could still, even though Lampard is out, perception of what he did there could still potentially change if Dyche does a good job. Mm. I don't know. There's the the Lampard uh, managerial complex, which will kick into gear, Andrew. Just just trust me. Oh. on that and we'll talk more about that um so i asked our friend doug what his thoughts was 
Doug, the beleaguered Everton supporter that's regularly referenced on the pod. Um, is Dyche a terribly com- uh, confidence-inspiring appointment? No. He's a decent cultural fit and should provide some stability and courage, which is much needed. He may have been the most sensible choice out of the options within our reach right now. And I do I do okay. agree with that. I do agree with that because... It's um, a pretty rational response, I got to say. Good job, well, Doug. I mean, all of it's rational. I just can't read all of it because it's it's too long. But that's that's the crux of what I was getting from him. And when you see Dyche talking today to Everton TV, there was none of the Yves Saint Laurent launch for Sean Dyche. There was just an interview where he says it's all it's going to be about graft. You know, it's info- important at the football club to come in. You come in and you look at the players you have and you say, it's going to be graft. That's going to take us out of that. That's the first thing. Tactics come later, but really graft is most important. And and that's the way they're going to go. They're going to be hard to beat. They're going to be very organized. He's got Tarkovsky. He's got Cody there who can fit into that kind of defensive mode. He's worked with Dwight McNeil before. Maybe he can get a tune out of him. Nobody else has been able to. Um, and it was brilliant today to see the disciplined daddy. There's a new daddy in town. A disciplined daddy. Oh, I love that music. I absolutely love that music. Uh, Dice was in full training gear. He was full training W. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, can he be a full training W when it's sort of his job? To, uh, to I know, play. but you know some managers, they don't really do it, but he had the shorts, the socks, and he had a gleaming new pair of Adidas Copa Mundials on, which I just co-sign on. And uh, smiling as Everton's players look absolutely gassed from the first session. So there's these brilliant pictures of him there like a sergeant major just laughing while they are hunkered down. Some of it like with their hands on their knees, like blowing hard because it's just been a brutal running session. And they will run, Andrew, and they will run some more. This will not be highly uh, tactical to start out with. And Dice has said that it's going to be about graft and organization. I, I picture him going home and just watching Miracle on a loop, like the, the Herb Brooks scene, the again scene from Miracle. Like that's we will we will not be the most talented team out there, but we will be the most fit team out there. And they've left him no time in the window to get anything done. I don't think there's any money to get anything done. Uh, now, they did get uh, 45 million for Anthony Gordon, uh, but we'll talk more about Anthony Gordon later in the mailbag. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't know that because yeah. I didn't read ahead. No. Mailbag. No, I'm going to have to keep you on track now. Uh, Deitch said, there is quality in this squad, but we have to make them shine. That's the job of me and my staff. Well, we'll see. We will Discipline see. Discipline daddy. I, I, there is a I, new daddy in town. There is a new daddy. I think he's I think he's got enough time to, to do it. Uh, a couple other things, JJ. Weston McKinney, another story that we have felt coming for about a week or so now, and it is yeah. now official. He heads to Leeds. Yeah, it's a loan move for Weston with an option to buy. Um, and the usual mixed reaction. Uh, those those people, those Leeds fans that saw him in the World Cup, kind of enthusiastic about it. Those that see him just as a signing from Juventus, very enthusiastic about that. Those that think it's just another Yank coming in to, make, to expand the boundaries of Yankshire under Jesse Marsh, a little bit more skeptical. But um, certainly certainly greeted warmly by his compatriot, Tyler Adams. And, oh, man, um, their interview. So uh, it, it's just, if you're an American fan and 
and you've been through it over the last month with Reyna and Bearhalter, and you're trying to remember what didn't I love this squad? I, I thought I loved this team. What happened? Just watch the video. Just it's three and a half minutes of Tyler Adams interviewing Weston McKinney, and all those all those warm feelings they'll all come flooding back. You'll yeah. love the team all over again. It's going to be great. I, a friend of mine sent me the clip of it, and and we were texting afterwards, and we said, can't we just get like. I don't even want to watch them play. I, I just want to watch a reality show where where Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney live together and do cool stuff. Uh, that's what I want to see. Yeah, unfortunately, Andrew, there is the the business of staying in the Premier League to oh. be attacked. So uh, you'll have to wait for that. Uh, Honestly, though, in terms of the soccer, the 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 soccer side of it, um, I don't really know. Like, I guess if you want to be a Leeds fan who is just skeptical because there's too many Americans here. Um, all right. Like you, you clearly have your notions and I don't think anything we say can change your mind, but like removing myself from that, I don't know what's not to like about it. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can see it comes into the team. I can, I can, I mean, we tried to visualize it the other day. Um, I, I think he's a good addition. On on a, on a loan, I think it's a good move. Um, but again, like it's 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 very hyper focused. You come in now and you you have to perform. You have to make an impact. I think That's, he's more than capable because they are like the way they start games. Um, they're not. They're not like at times you look at them and you think they should be way higher up the table. There's other times though they're just not good, and he has to be somebody who brings something to this. It's not just about our our warm feelings, um, because we've got Americans at Leeds United. We've got to be a bit more cold, and um, and I think it, it could see Aronson slip out of the side as well. So, we I would see. say by American Americans in Europe standards, this is now. This is now the new standard. Like Fulham probably carried that banner for a long time. The McBride years um, into Dempsey, Eddie Johnson there for a little bit. Tim Ream. This is now, this is it now. Like, I mean, to have Aronson, McKinney and Adams all there together with Jesse Marsh managing the team. Like, I don't know how you top this. If you're just like a cat, like a, a, a neutral American fan who sort of just is into the Premier League. Like this, this is the team you have to watch. Yeah. I would say, um, even as a, I don't support Leeds, but I kind of, as as somebody who loves the U.S. men's national team, I feel compelled to watch them anytime they're on. And it'll be interesting to see if NBC and Peacock's coverage reflects that. I bet it will. It did earlier this season. I bet that'll be ramped up even more. I would imagine so. Um, and then one other one, JJ. I don't know if stunning is is even the word here. Um, Joe Cancelo, I don't think it's official yet. Last time I checked, um, but it seems inevitable that he's going to be making a stunning move from Man City to Bayern Munich. What? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he hasn't had the best of seasons, but then consider the previous two seasons and it puts into context just how important he is for Manchester City. I mean, this is a guy who can play left back, right back. He's inverted wing back. He's part of the midfield as well. He's, and then when they get to a certain part of the field, he's he's a creative or has been a creative force too. But I I the I mean the only thing I can deduce is that there's been a falling out. Okay, some kind of bust up between him and Guardiola. Meaning, look at he's got to go. Or two, 
It's like a message to the whole squad. Like making good on what he said before where he wants his team back and he doesn't feel they're performing. And he's just saying, look, it doesn't matter who you are. Even if you're one of our best players, Premier League team of the year, twice in a row or whatever Cancelo was, if you do not perform, you're gone. Or the third thing is, he's 28. And there's been a decline this season. And, and, and Guardiola just sees, okay, like, 28's young, there's still there's still a good few years of football, but you hit 30 and then it is diminishing returns, generally speaking, except for, for some players. And that maybe I don't want to go through all that. I've seen the decline now. I can get him away. I can possibly get him away permanently, get good money in. I got Rico Lewis, a young player that may be able to do something. Uh, I also have my eyes on some other players. Maybe this is the time to to just to just get rid. I think for what you just said, it's a combination of one and two. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to go with three. I think it's one and two. One, um, this feels to me I mean, like Zhao Cancelo. Let's not let's not undervalue what he's meant to this Manchester City team. Like obviously, they're a team loaded with superstar players, um, and it's why they've been so dominant. But even among those superstar players, he has been a standout superstar in the last two years. He's made two. PFA Premier League teams of the year. And I believe in one of those years, he was Manchester City's player of the season, yeah. which is almost as almost as difficult of a reward to win as, actu- as the actual PFA player of the year. Um, so he's not just some guy. So this feels like one of those situations that we sometimes talk about on the show, JJ, where you kind of have to trust your gut. Like if something feels weird here, then, then it probably is weird. Like if, like if it feels like there's more to this than we know, there probably is. Yeah. That's where I land on this. Like, I don't think that two years of unbelievable performance from Zhao Cancelo can be eliminated because of a bad month. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And I, and, and still... I think, Pe- and I think Pep is too smart for that. So I think that it's a combination of the first thing you said, something happened, something happened behind the scenes with Cancelo, with Pep, with maybe Cancelo and a teammate, with Cancelo in the wrong. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws. I just know a weird situation when I see one. And a guy who was incredible, transcendent for two seasons, who's had a bad month and is now shipped out, something happened. I have to believe that. And I combine it with the second thing you said for this. Uh, This was Pep Guardiola on BT Sport. Um, I don't remember exactly when it's from, but it's him and Rio Ferdinand. Uh, and, And basically it's Pep talking about his philosophy of not just team building, but how to keep a team great. Here's Pep with Rio Ferdinand. How difficult is that for you to do mentally every year? For yourself, I think it would maybe not be as difficult, but to get players to do it for free, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. How, how yeah, hard yeah, is it to do that? Did, how many Premier League did you win? Six. Six. Did you have the same squad, the first uh, Premier League six one? You have to shake. You have to move. With the same guys, it's almost impossible. We change. After defeat and win, we change. Me included. We change. In the beginning, you accept things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you win, you accept less. Yeah. And uh, you are in the position, you are no playing, no playing, no playing, after playing. And after I don't play, I don't accept. I want to stay playing. And sometimes accept it, sometimes done. You have to move. So, in the process, and, 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 and do this is the, the, the most, but you have to do it. If done, it's impossible. I mean, you hear it right there. You've got to change the squad. So if Pep has a guy that he's had a falling out with 
And he has a philosophy of to continue to be great, we have to do radical things and keep this squad fresh. Uh, th- then you take that. Then all of a sudden, Cancelo becomes a natural target to be one of those players who, who's moved on. And you're right; he's 28, so he's getting near 30, but that is still in the thick of his prime. So he can they they can still stand to make a lot of money off of this. And if they think they have players waiting in the wings, Lewis, like you mentioned, Nathan Ake has played well in that position of late. Um, then he becomes expendable in the in Pep's mind. I yeah. Well, I mean, it's still a gamble because of the things he's able to do. Um. And the way he just kind of, I mean, he can he can thread a pass, he can pick out a cross, he's brilliant in the final third, um, and and in the way that Pep likes to play, maybe it signals a change in in, in how Pep's going to go about things. But I, I, it's it's one of those where we don't know yet how this is going to play out. He, like he goes, he may be a success, and then people ask why why Pep did it. I I. I don't know. It's um, it's it's still curious to me, um, and I think you're right. Something it isn't just maybe football related. Maybe it's team ethic, team squad related. Yeah. Um. Let's see. One other one here. I didn't mean to skip over this. Uh. Nothing is done yet. Again, it's it's speculation, but rumors are are really building in a hurry that Chelsea are going to make yet another massive addition to the squad in Enzo Fernandez, the uh, World Cup young player of the tournament from Benfica. Um this is this is wild uh you pointed out jj on the rundown that chelsea's spending is currently around 185 million euros in january alone a move for for uh enzo fernandez would take them to 300 million um chelsea have signed 17 players for a total of 495 million pounds across the last two transfer windows uh, uh yeah look i like, don't try and explain how, how can they do this i i i don't know like this is one of those where I just don't know. Um, is it? And is, when is it, the sell-off going to occur? I mean, I know there's rumors about Jorginho, there's rumors about Connor Gallagher, but like uh, Hakim Ziyech, but nothing's happened yet. I, I assume something will, but even if it does, I mean, what? How much money are those guys going to recoup for Chelsea? I just, I don't know how this is sustainable. No, I don't know either. I just, I just have this. This vision of Todd Bowley in like a swanky Los Angeles bar and he's meeting Graham Potter for the first time and Potter just says look oh, I just need to know you'll back me and Bowley responds I'll give you everything and Potter goes that's very reassuring and then Bowley in a strong whisper he leans in and he goes everything <laughs> like Bowley's just <laughs> that's creepy I know <laughs> but Bowley is just throwing everything at this like you know and um, and maybe it's the composition of the contracts. Maybe he's 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 figured out a way to make make those work. I I I don't know, but it's it's a bit mad. Um, it is right. Like I would almost, I don't know. I, I'd like to talk to a Chelsea fan. Like I know fans of of major Premier League teams, they want this. Like they want to see ownership, yeah, back the manager, enhance the squad, spend. That's what that's what fans want. Like it's funny because fans complain about oh, there's too much money in the game, and you know Manchester City are running wild. But deep down inside, that's what everyone wants for their own team. Um, but I, I would be curious to talk to a Chelsea fan and say, do you like? Do you actually think that what's going on here is good? Like, yeah, you're going out and you're buying a bunch of big name players, but and, and spending a lot of money and investing in the squad, like. On the surface, that's all good, but doesn't this all feel just kind of like 
I don't know, random, like a, a kid yeah. who's run into a toy store and is just grabbing everything off the shelves. But then when they get home, it's like they don't even know what to do with it. It's too much. They 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 just see a, a like a mound of toys in front of them. They don't know how to play with it all. Are your first time poker player who just like doesn't get it, gets overly excited and then pushes everything, all his chips to the middle of the table. Um, I mean, it's it's strong from Bowley. I have I have to say um, I I don't know what the plan is, but and it's huge pressure now for Potter. I mean, Frank Lampard was under huge, huge pressure himself when they did their they had their two hundred and fifty million dollar summer where where um, where uh, he brought in the, the Germans um, and it uh, and he couldn't get he couldn't really get a note out of them. Then Tuchel comes in and makes it look relatively easy, wins the Champions League. Uh, big expectations now for for Potter with that kind of outlay. I mean, look, if it works, it has potential to be spectacular. And I, I would say, I guess it could compete with Manchester City for league titles. Um, but for it to work, like a lot of things are going to have to go right here. A lot of just kind of like guys that have been brought in that you hope fit in these holes. Like, is it square pegs and round holes or did they, or did they actually go out and get round pegs for round holes? I mean, like I said, I, it, I, I said last like... time we felt scattergun. We'll see. It just seems like a list of the most kind of talk sought about, after sought after players has been made up, and Todd has gone, bring them to me. Yeah. So we'll see if you can put that into a coherent side. Right. But now, like the other thing too is like a bit top heavy. It, yeah, but is it also just a little bit of spending for spending's sake? Like, what about the fact that Reese James and Golo Conte and Ben Chilwell are all going to come back at some point? Did you need to spend almost five hundred million? I on suppose, your squad? It, but he's probably spent five hundred million in positions that they don't play in. That's the point. He's just looked. He's just looked at the forward line and said, "None of these guys are working out." The Zeeshes, the Pulisic, the Havertz, the whatevers, out. Income. Well, but when are they going out? Who's leaving? Summer probably. He's only just brought Aubameyang in. And. Oh, I'm bombing. Jeez. Like, that's another one that made no sense then. It makes no sense now. And I mean, the the rumor two weeks ago was Aubameyang was trying to get back to Barcelona somehow. I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, if if it works, then what a monster they've created. But I don't know. We'll see. And we'll see who who's headed out. I mean, they can't register all these players for the for the next round of uh, of the Champions League. They can't do that. So players are going to have to miss out. Uh, and then finally, before we get to the mailbag and close on that, JJ, I know you wanted to mention something about Napoli. Something about Napoli. Uh, 13 points clear at the it's top of Serie A. That's a bit more than something. Um, a late Giovanni Simeone goal uh, sinks Mourinho's Roma, who Mourinho, in, in, in weird fashion, after the game, then did a a dressing room picture, like a squad shirtless picture, you know, where everyone's grouped together after the 2-1 defeat. And there's a few bemused faces, a few awkward smiles, like actually nobody's really smiling. I'm looking at it now. It's just a, just an odd thing to do um, and put it up on his Instagram. I think he I think he doesn't understand that photo and how it's supposed to work. Anyway, uh, the, the Oshiman goal, the opening goal, uh, Kvaratskhaya crossing to Oshiman, who chests it, knees it, and then blasts it in uh, 
into the roof of the net uh, for the opening goal for Napoli. Absolutely brilliant. And um, here's what it sounded like. Mario Rui makes a hurry, cleverly done. Kvaratshelia with the ball in. Osiman and still! It's them two again. Kvaratshelia the provider and Osiman with one of the goals of the season. He bags the opener here and it is an absolute beauty. So this could be it. This could be it. 13 points. It will take an epic collapse now. They can't. I can't see Inter catching them. I hope they don't. Amazing. 13 points. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just... It's over. It's over. I if hope... This, it... I mean, if this were the Premier League, we we on this podcast, we'd be saying to each other, what, what do we have to talk about the rest of the season? It's over. I just, in my mind, Newcastle 12 points clear in February. And and they got <laughs> and they got they got pulled back. So anyway, uh, it's time for Mel Beasy, Andrew. Nice. Caught offside pod at gmail.com at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Take a second. Take your phone out at CO Soccer Pod Twitter. Go follow us there. Um Instagram, caught offside pod. So simple. Go follow us there. Um bunch of people want to talk about the Anthony Jedi Robinson move to Man City rumor. Um, yeah, like I didn't see, I saw everyone talking about it, but I didn't see exactly where it originated. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, maybe it would explain some of their willingness to let Cancelo leave. Uh, but yeah, they... I mean, Pep, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm doing a kind of like a quick Google search, but I feel like I remember Pep speaking highly of Robinson in the past. Am I making that up? I think that might have happened. I think it did. So uh, maybe it's kind of like weirdly been somebody who's who has been on his radar. Um, I'm trying to find it because I really I don't think I'm making that up. I, I feel like I remember. No. Him well, anyway, I, it's just just for me. He's not like. You're asking Anthony Robinson to come in and, and like, I don't see him starting. I really don't. And as as much as we like him, and we do like him, it's through the prism of the prism of the U.S. men's national team and the things he does for, for Fulham. It's a different thing to come in to step, step into that position and, and try and replicate all the things that a Cancelo would do. So I wouldn't see it as a replacement. I would see it as maybe another piece or maybe he wants to make changes. But yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you know what when I talk to um, Jack Collins of the Fulhamish podcast, maybe this deal will be done or maybe it won't be done. But when I talk to him for our in the club, we'll be able to to get a little bit more out of him on why Guardiola might really want Robinson. Uh, July eleventh, twenty twenty one, in uh, Daily Mail, Pep Guardiola said to be an admirer of Anthony Robinson and could sign him as cover. Uh, so that was a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, that the cover part is what concerns me. Yeah, because now, I, I, again, that was a year and a half ago. Robinson is a year and a half more experienced, more proven in this league. Um, played in a World Cup. Yeah. Um, so, 20, but twenty-five is not the age to be suddenly taking to the bench. Is is all I would say. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, um, yeah. Jenna Green, question for the pod. 
in light of all uh, the Paratici stuff, how much does this implicate Conte? They were at Juve for a while together and there was absolutely no way Conte didn't know about the under-the-table dealings, right? Love you all as always. Thank you, Jenna. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Do, can, is that is that something to be assumed? That Conte knew? No, that, no, I would What but, Juve's I mean, accounting looked like? <laughs> but, but I read a piece in The Guardian which, which suggests that, okay, whatever he did or did, Conte did or didn't know, that's, I mean, that's an irrelevance, I would say, at this point. It's more the case that the ban could be extended from from Italy to to England. Now, I read that last week. About Paratici? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that. But I thought, but if we're talking about Conte, I don't think it implicates Conte. No, I don't either. Look, you can make any assumption you want uh, or, or have any preconceived notion that you want about it. I, but I don't know that I am so confident that I would just assume that Conte was a part of this in some way. No, and I wouldn't imagine Conte would be somebody who wanted to get into the the minuity of signing players. I mean, and a lot of this was like, you know, bookwork. It was like ledgers and, and transferring, you know, monies and uh, basically making things up. So I don't know if Conte would get involved on that side of things. And I mean, by the way, if he ever did ask, how are we doing this? Right. Like, He's not the money man. If if Paratici says to him or Agnelli says to him, you know, that we we have found a clever loophole, something like that, like all right, what's he supposed to say? You know what? I'm I'm going to give me your books. I'm going to look deeper into this. No, he's going to say, "Oh, great. Good job." Like cool so guys, I, I, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, like I I no, I don't maybe I'm being naive, um, but I don't see it as as an an immediate implication of, of Conte. We have no evidence, Your Honor. Sorry, Jenna. Yep. Um, Meech, given the Anthony Gordon move, if Everton were to get relegated at the end of the season, is it better he moved to Newcastle now or would it have been better if he stayed from the player's PR perspective slash his legacy at his boyhood club? I would forget about that question with him. He was, he was a target for Everton fans long before they confronted him in the car park. They didn't feel he was doing very much on the field, they didn't feel his attitude was right. When they heard he wanted to go to Chelsea, he wanted to go at the start of the season. That kind of that kind of ramped up. He's, I mean, his his legacy is no legacy at Everton. Well, he's been with them since he was what eleven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he him... just doesn't. The way he's the way he's gone reminds me. It doesn't remind me, but like Frank Lampard has no uh, legacy at West Ham. They right. hated him. When he left, and uh, and a lot of a lot of Blues were just happy to see Anthony Gordon go, and were delighted to get forty five million for him. Um, so, yeah, and that would that would probably be the way that I would feel about it. Yeah. I, I, I remember talking about it over the summer, and sometimes being a little bit puzzled that he was being valued at what he what he is. Oh yeah, and I think he's fine. He's a fine player. He's a young player. He'll get better. Um, but is he a difference maker? I don't know. I'm not. No. I'm not there yet with him. No, and n- neither are, are his stats, which is important. We'll yeah. see if Eddie Howe can do another brilliant job. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth, uh, JJ, your anti-Chelsea feelings were on display during the Lampard out discussion. Here we not go. That, not that most of what you said wasn't true. Just, uh, just with the passion with which you said it. 
I see little difference between Frank and Steven Gerrard's tenure at Aston Villa. Uh You said basically the same thing about both performances, but your tone differed greatly. I don't think that either of them is going to amount to much as a coach unless they can take a more humble approach and head down the pyramid or to lesser leagues to learn their craft. Being a legend will only get them so far. So how does this make you feel, JJ, that he seems to have agreed with everything you said? He just didn't care for the way in which you said it. Yeah, is that incre- is that what I'm supposed to take from this? Yeah, incredible. Um, I mean, anti I'll just deal with anti-Chelsea. Like, how can me saying Chelsea deserved are too big of a club to have someone as inexperienced as Frank Lampard managing them be a shot at Chelsea? How is that anti-Chelsea? I, if anything, I want better for Chelsea. Is what I'm saying. And the tone, the difference between the Gerrard and the Lampard tone is like, I said Gerrard played shocking football at Villa. Like, they were stink. You couldn't watch them. Um, I don't, I, like, I would go back to first principles. I don't think Steven Gerrard should have got the job at Rangers. But when he did, he did go and win the league with them. So at least he had that one thing on his CV. Frank Lampard walks into the derby job, achieves nothing there. Goes to the Chelsea job, gets top four, fair enough or whatever, but goes nowhere. The man is out within the next within the year, and then then somehow lands one of the biggest jobs in football, uh, or one of the what used to be a big job in football at what used to be a big club, still is in my eyes. Everton, like how? What is this alchemy? That's the difference. And and I think my tone with I th- if my tone needs to be evened out towards both of them, I would say okay, fair enough. They both have benefited from their names. And Frank Lampard has benefited even further from the fact that it was his uncle, Harry Wednap, who encouraged the owner of Derby to give him a shot and give him an interview when Lampard was on his way to interview at Leeds. So, I mean, I'm sorry that my tone didn't match for both, but I think both of them um, are are and were ill-equipped to get the jobs they got first. Look, you hate Chelsea. Yep, just say it. it. Just, I mean, just say it, JJ. That's it, Andrew. Hate them. That is. That's it. You, you got me, Kenneth. You got me. Um, JJ's football fetishes, which is sounds like a website. Uh, Paul Burkett. Was it just me, or was JJ's list of the things he looks at when entering a stadium really the checklist he goes through to find something he hates, which he has to find before he can watch the game? That yeah. That sounds no, about I, right. No, it's uh, it's not about uh, that's wrong. It's it's not about uh, hating them. It's about the inconsistencies and the differences. I enjoy seeing those. And yeah, there might be some stanchions I don't enjoy as much as other ones, or some um, <laughs> net formulations that I don't like as much as others. But that's not the. It's not about hating them. It's about uh, noticing the differences. I won't be happy in this ground until I've found something in here that I can hate. No. And I think that's the way you function. No, I, it's no, it's the differences. It's not about hating them. And I'm sorry if it came across as, as hate on the last podcast, because I don't think it'd be a great fetish if it was a hateful fetish. That's a dark place to go. Mm. I, don't, I don't want Let's that. explore that. No, that's not. It's not. Let's keep that, uh, keep that above the surface. And finally, this is one for you, Andrew. I'll let you oh. deal with this one. Uh, <laughs> Jack Dawson. Hey, guys, I've been listening to the pod since 2016. Oh, but my first time writing in. Thanks for that, Jack. Where were you the first two years? Oh, my God. Jack's a writer. He's hardcore. I will not have you hate on Jack Dawson. I'm kidding. 
one of the best names you could possibly have. How Isn't nice that the is... name of Leonardo DiCaprio's character from Titanic? Jack Dawson, was it? I think so. Um, Andrew has conveyed his thoughts on switching sports teams before, but I got into a debate about it with some friends and wanted to get your thoughts. I was born in Columbus, Ohio, but moved to Philly when I was five. Nice. I'm a diehard Philly sports fan, but the union didn't exist until I was in middle school. Because Philly didn't have a team, I was a crew fan, but I switched to supporting the union after they came around. Oh, I'm confused. Am I a bad fan for switching to to a team in the city that I consider home, or should I have stuck by the crew? I'm just going to say quickly, I don't think you're a bad fan. Uh, no, you're not. Although I guess I would, I would, the way I view it is, well, how big of a crew fan were you then? If you were able to leave. Like, I've never actually, and look, well, this is all in good fun. Root for whoever you want to root for. I'm not the arbiter of this. I can only tell you how I, how my loyalties lie. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. This is just through my mind. Um, I've never actually lived in Philadelphia while the union were in existence. I had moved already, yeah. but my loyalty is to that city. That's for sure. I've lived in New York for 16 years. I still don't consider myself a New Yorker. I'm probably wrong in feeling that way, but it's just how I feel. I'll all, for whatever reason, I can't explain it. I'll just always identify as a Philadelphian. Um, and so despite never having lived in Philadelphia while the union were in existence, the second that they appeared, I, I didn't have an MLS club. I was living in New York, but I couldn't attach myself to the Red Bulls or NYCFC because I don't identify with New York. The second the union became a team, that was my team because I feel Philadelphian in my heart and soul. Um, everyone's different though. Like if you move from Columbus at age five, uh, I understand that that's, you were young enough where you probably didn't have that attachment to that place. I left Philadelphia when I was 22. Um, so it's, it's different. I, I spent my whole, my whole youth there growing. I grew up there. So I get it. That's, that's fair. I, I won't, I won't kill you for that. Um, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I think that's okay. But yeah. I, again, I, I would say how I started this. I don't know that you were ever... If you can just leave a team for another team, then that just tells me that you were probably never that big of a fan of that team in the first place. Yeah. I do believe that. Yeah, that's fair. I, th- I think I tend to agree with that too. Um, and that is the mailbag. Oh, yeah. Please go now and uh, rate us on iTunes. Leave a comment. Leave a remark. Be kind, give us five stars and go give us five stars then on Spotify or wherever you listen to our podcast. You got to keep doing that. I don't care how many reviews you got to leave. You got to keep doing that. Yeah, it's hugely helpful. Massively helpful. Hugely helpful. Uh, This was great fun. It was fun. Great fun. I enjoyed this thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, You had a nice weekend. You're off to another superb owl. It's unbelievable. It really, it really is. Some of those play, some of those penalty calls or non calls were unbelievable. Yeah, they really in the were. Eagles game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a lot. Boy, of it books. is funny. Like, I don't know if this is just like a part of, like, when you get these games. I don't know. Don't you find? I'm not just saying this as an Eagles fan. The two teams that won this weekend, the Eagles and the Chiefs. I feel like from all the media that I've consumed over the last 24 hours talking about those games, the general public in this country is doing all they can to delegitimize those two wins. I don't know why, 
Well, people don't, don't like Philadelphia sports fans. I um, think that that is probably because I've noticed it throughout this season with the Eagles. And I, I think like I, at different points, I've told myself, oh, you're just being a, a Philadelphia biased, whiny baby. No one actually dislikes your team. But like I've now had people who are not Philadelphia sports fans make these same observations. Yeah. To me. And I do think that there is something to it. And I'm trying to figure out what the theory is as to why people continue to delegitimize them and their success. And I, I think I do think it has a lot to do with the fan base that a lot of fans outside of Philadelphia just find loud and obnoxious. Yeah. And so they just Boorish, don't want to give them their due. Ignorant. Not ignorant. Flatulent. It's not an ignorant fan base. It's just a yeah. loud, obnoxious one. At Flatulent, time. grotesque. Yeah. Fine. All those things. Um <laughs> So I, I I do think that like there will be reporters who say, no, I'm an unbiased journalist. Nonsense. OK, like whether it's subconscious or conscious, I believe that that can be a thing that you just don't want to give credit to that team because you don't want to give that fan base anything else to feel good about. I think I think the, I think also people are scared, certainly in my part of the world, that this is a second Super Bowl for the Eagles in five years and it would be. Like they look dominant, their pass rush looks immense, and they're going up against the hobbled Patrick Mahomes as well, depending on how much he can fix that high ankle sprain. And if they get after him, I mean, the Super Bowl could be pretty boring. So that would surprise me. Now, I do, I do believe the Eagles are better. I do think that they're I a better they team. Are. Um, I think that this is. I've seen two in my lifetime as an Eagles fan. I've seen two truly great teams: the '04 Super Bowl team that lost to the Patriots and the 17 Super Bowl team that beat the Patriots. I think if they got to finish the job, if they do, I think this is the best Eagles team I've seen in my life. Yeah. I, from top to bottom. It's the most complete team. There's no weakness. They are number one in the league in various elements of the game, offensive line, pass rush. Mm. Um, their quarterback is probably going to finish runner up in MVP voting. It's the best receiving core they've ever had. Uh, that's undeniable. Um, I think it's the best Eagles team I've ever seen, but they've got to finish the job and it won't be easy because this Chiefs team is tested. So I think I think the Super Bowl needs a good game. I really think that. I mean, last year was pretty good. Came down to the end. Did it? That's not an opinion. It, fact it, it, I can't yeah, it came down to the final I, two minutes. Fact, oh yeah. Matt Stafford did. led the drive down. Oh, the field. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did, yeah. Uh yeah, but that was okay, that was that was the Rams. Okay. So it doesn't really count. Um, okay. I, I I think it needs a it needs a good good Super Bowl. I really but like do. all I've heard is like, you know, the, the Chiefs. Oh well, you know, all, all the calls, the replaying of the third down, uh, Burrow not getting the late hit call. Why was that intentional grounding? Like no one has really said anything about like the Chiefs being good, uh, and Mahomes having this epic performance. Like the Eagles, like it, it hasn't been anything about this team is really dominant. They went 14 and three. They were the one seed for a reason. It's only been that th this was gift wrapped for them by the, the competition that they've played so far. Well, you know what? They're the one seed. They earned that. Like you, when you are the one seed, you get the easiest route. I think, I think, and if people have into... a problem with brought with, with the Eagles not having to face a team with a functioning quarterback in that game, that's fair. That's fair. My answer to that would be, Maybe don't use a backup tight end to block the second best pass rusher in football because that's a choice that a coach is making. And when he makes that decision, you are putting your quarterback at risk. 
See, folks, if Tottenham ever get really, really good, this is what he's going to be like. You opened the door. I, I had no intention of bringing up football. I, no. I wanted to congratulate you on making it to another superb owl, and um, I hope you bring that feathered bird back to Philly. Well, what was I saying before? Uh, that's This was great fun. I enjoyed this immensely. JJ, uh, we, we have um, an in the club coming out to look forward to this week on Fulham, America's former team that has now been supplanted by Leeds and possibly Wrexham. Uh, so we'll ask we'll ask uh, Jack Collins of the Fulhamish podcast what he makes of the fact that they are, they are no longer America's team, and if he's if he's ready to live in a world where Fulham are not America's team, I don't know. I'm not sure how they'll how they're adjusting to this. At any rate, this podcast was awesome. I loved it, JJ. You got anything else? No, no, no. I I, I have to get off now. Uh, I've I've got to warm up and be rested for tomorrow, so I can be more biased against your teams. Ah, all right. Best of luck with that. Hey, to you, I say. Check you later, phone boy. I'll see you. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.